Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Should we, should we do a podcast then? Yes, let's do it. Give me a second so I can remember the order of questions and, and adopt my, my sort of actual podcast voice. It's, it's, well, it's a good voice. Yeah, everyone, yeah, no, everyone, sure everyone laughs at the podcast voice. <laughs> this is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. I'm John Elledge, and this is Skylines, the Cinematic Podcast. In a few weeks' time, England goes to the polls for this, this year's round of mayoral elections. We've got elections up in, in London, obviously, uh, with Sadiq Khan is facing, facing a well, not particularly impressive challenge, let's be honest, but he will have to get re-elected. And there's also mayoral elections in several of the other city regions in the West Midlands, where the Tory Andy Street, who is still a Tory, despite the fact his campaign material is mysteriously green rather than blue, uh, will face a challenge from Labour's Liam Byrne. There'll also be mayor elections in the Liverpool city region, where, let's, let's be honest, Steve Rotherham is going to win that one. In the Tees Valley, where uh, Tory Ben Houchin, one of the less likely winners of the 2017 round, is, is also facing a Labour challenger. But this week we are off to Manchester, which is, Greater Manchester is the site of, of the other big mayoral election this May, in which Andy Burnham, a very prominent uh, Labour politician, will be facing off against, well, we don't actually know yet, which is uh, curious because we're really not that far from, from the election now. But he will have to have to win an election against against somebody. Uh, the Liberal Democrat candidate, by the way, is a chap called Andy Kelly, so I can tell you that much. The Conservative, well, who knows? Never mind, it's only two months away. I'm sure they've got time to, to pick someone and win that one. But, you know, Manchester is obviously uh, one of the more interesting city regions to watch in terms of the development of Britain's devolutionary agenda, in terms of, you know, what you can do to kind of fix up a post-industrial city. And it is, you know, both one of the most exciting and one of my favourite English cities. And I love an excuse to talk about Manchester. And I also love an excuse to talk to Jen Williams, the politics and policy editor of the Manchester Evening News, who's one of the, the best journalists working outside the London bubble in this country and you know the country would be in a much better state if there were more people doing the kind of reporting that the gen is elsewhere around the country but anyway she last came on the podcast to talk about the Northern Rail fiasco so before we before we got to Andy Burnham and his prospects for re-election I thought we should start there could you give us a, a bit of an update on what's going on with Northern Rail what's happened with your trains Jen? So the government has effectively renationalised the Northern Rail contract. They announced that a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that came as a surprise to anybody. Grant Shapps announced that he'd be reviewing the franchise back in the autumn. And then there was a kind of legal process where they couldn't actually say what their preferred option for it was. You know, the choice was basically between renationalising it and giving it to the operator of last resort or 
essentially redrawing and paring back the existing contract and giving it back to Northern. And realistically, from a political point of view, it was very difficult to ever see them doing anything other than renationalise it because it wouldn't exactly go down very well if they just gave it back to Northern. And obviously the Northern leaders had been calling for that. Andy Burnham had been calling for that. In reality, the politics around that have been played quite well by Andy Burnham because he's made sure that he's been ahead of this all the way through, calling for it to be renationalised when... In reality, I think everybody had known for quite some time that the franchise was heading for financial default. And at the point that it reached financial default was going to be the bit that the government was going to be able to step in. So, you know, Andy Burnham is obviously now able to take credit for something that I think a lot of people knew was probably going to happen anyway. So he's played that quite well. The operation of last resort takes over at the beginning of March. And we are in a, a funny situation for Northern Rail because... Actually, there's going to be a number of improvements fairly quickly, which have nothing whatsoever to do with the renationalisation of the contract. So after years and years and years of disputes with Aslef over Sunday working, there has been a a kind of a, a deal in principle struck as of a couple of weeks ago, which means that suddenly Sunday services are looking quite a lot more reliable. And that has nothing whatsoever to do with the OLR coming in. That's Northern that have basically finally got that over the line. And there'll also be some new rolling stock coming in. But again, I think the rolling stock would have come in anyway. So I think some of the initial improvements that people are going to see, they're probably going to inevitably, they're going to think that are because of the nationalisation. But actually, they, they probably would have happened anyway. The difficulty, I think, that both Andy Burnham and the government are going to have is demonstrating significant progress just by giving it to the OLR. I think that there's a kind of expectation that the franchise will probably be better managed, that maybe customer service will be a bit better, that things will just kind of look and feel a bit better. But fundamentally, one of the big drivers for the May 2018 meltdown was the fact that the infrastructure work in the centre of Manchester that was supposed to have been done hasn't been done. So there's only so amazing that you're only you're ever going to be able to get that franchise until you do that work. And that's still not been signed off. There's some hope that that might be in the budget, perhaps. Certainly Greater Manchester and Transport for the North are lobbying pretty hard on that and saying that they need to do the expansion work at Piccadilly that was originally meant to be done. The extra platforms, right? Yeah, extra platforms and other bits and pieces sort of through the Castlefield corridor, which had, I think they went through all of their necessary hoops back in 2015, I think. And then it's just been hanging around ever since. Chris Grayling sent it out to Network Rail for a review. Uh, Network Rail came back and said, yeah, no, this is kind of the only way that we can fix this. So then that has continued to just sit there somewhere in government. So the only way really, certainly according to Transport for the North and Andy Burnham, that you're going to be able to at least make services more reliable through the centre of Manchester is to cut back the timetable. And their argument is to say, until we've got the infrastructure in place, you can't run as many services through this corridor as, as had originally been intended. At least if we cut back the timetable a bit, that means that those services will be a bit more reliable. Government seems to be pushing back a little bit on that. So we'll see. But I think, you know, the big question is going to be this time, say this time next year, Is it fundamentally going to feel and look that much better? It probably will look a bit better. But until you've done that infrastructure work, it's not going to be kind of radically different, I don't think. I mean, I sort of wonder if the government's made a bit of a rod for its own back here. In in the past, it had someone to blame. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, who is it going to blame when it turns out that actually because these extra platforms haven't been built, because the timetable is too ambitious for the infrastructure, 
the trains are still not great. It's it's just going to have to take responsibility itself, isn't it? Well, I mean, you would have thought so. I mean, that's kind of been my point all the way through this. It's like, well, this is Conservative government that promised this stuff and then didn't get it done and let a franchise that then didn't match up with the available capacity. I think they're going to use the Williams review into the rail industry as a whole as a way of saying, well, look, we've taken a holistic approach to all of this. We've looked at the whole rail industry and we're going to redesign everything. And that is our answer. I think that's probably what they will what they will say. But I think that I think on the capacity in the centre of Manchester, I think something's going to have to be signed off if they're serious about it. And certainly the noises coming out of government sound quite positive, probably more positive than they are over things like Northern Powerhouse Rail. The conversations I've had have been sort of certainly in the last few weeks have sounded like actually we might get these extra platforms in Piccadilly. And when Boris Johnson made his HS2 announcement on Tuesday and it was briefed beforehand that there would be some sort of extra northern bits and bobs with it, there had been kind of some speculation that that might be platforms 15 and 16, which it wasn't in the end. It was bus services. But that's the kind of level of expectation in Greater Manchester that something might actually now start moving on it. OK, cool. I mean, the the other thing I think we should probably touch on before we, we move on to to local politics is... This is just one franchise, like the Northern franchise is a lot mm-hmm. of the Northern Rail Network, but there is also TransPennine, right, which is a totally mm-hmm. different contract and, and has also proven unreliable for, for some of the same reasons. I mean, is there anything happening with that? Yeah, so TransPennine, their performance is actually worse than Northern Rail on most measures. Oh, good eh? Yeah. Transport for the North yesterday said they were doing something around their performance measure. I can't remember exactly what it was now, but it was something that Andy Burnham had talked about, sort of saying that actually you're on your last, this is your last hurrah now, really. If you don't improve kind of pretty significantly, then we're going to be pushing the government to go to RLR on you as well. Yeah, that's it. Transport for the North have, have, have set basically a public target for how fast they want TP to, to improve. And certainly last time I interviewed a rail minister, which would have been about three weeks ago, he was saying that they had sat down with TPE, that they had made it very clear to TPE what it was that needed to be done and that the government had gone away relatively satisfied that they were all on the same page and that it was going to be sorted out. There was a meeting of Transport for the North back in, I don't know, it was about a month ago, and TransPennine were there. And their explanation for their problems were slightly different to Northern's explanation, although there's still infrastructure issues. But one of the things was to do with a really big delay on rolling stock coming online. And that was the thing that they were pointing at. It's obviously quite difficult from the outside to know how much that is the real reason for them not being very good. But that is certainly what they're saying. So it sounds as though in a way that maybe they weren't on people's radar, say, a year ago it sounds like they are now on the government's radar they are on tfn's radar and i mean burnham's talking about tp a little bit more as well but he's mainly hanging everything on northern and and one of one of the reasons people think that that could be the case is that he is keen to get powers over his local railway network and much of that is northern northern rail services so that's a kind of that's a theory about why he's pursued northern harder than mm. he's pursued tpe i think the other reason is that it was quite clear as i said before 
the the direction of travel with Northern that they were going to go into default. So actually, this is a winnable argument, whereas that may not necessarily be the case with TPE. But certainly there's a lot more noise around how rubbish TPE are now. So we'll just have to wait and see whether it actually gets any better. OK, well, well, fingers crossed on that one. Let's see how it goes. Let's talk about the great man himself. Let's talk about Andy Burnham. He was elected nearly three years ago with mm-hmm. with I mean, let's be let's be honest about this it was a massive mandate wasn't it he did yeah it was he he got something like 60 percent of the votes on on first preferences he overperformed where you'd expect a generic labor candidate to be there was a clear vote of confidence for him in a way there hadn't been for a lot of of other mayoral candidates what's he done with all that what's what's he spent the last three years doing so i think there's there's two sets of kind of ways i guess that he has and he could exert power as mayor And you've got to remember that this position didn't exist before this. So he's effectively defining what it is to be a city mayor, a metro mayor. So there's the things that he has actual executive power over, which actually are not that considerable, not that many things that he's got like a direct lever over. And then there's the soft power side of things and the issues that he kind of wants to campaign on, but they're not kind of directly within his remit, but he sees them as being important. So if you take homelessness as an example of the latter, there's nothing within the mayor's remit that relates to homelessness, really. He doesn't control social services. He doesn't control planning. He doesn't control housing, drug services. And that's for the local authorities to do. But he was very clear in the mayoral campaign that this was a really big priority for him and that he wanted to cut rough sleeping a little known fact is that i think he was originally going to promise to to end homelessness and i think there was a conversation early on saying that is a very bad idea (laughs) to try and claim that you're going to be able to end homelessness so it became rough sleeping and i think it's probably fair to say that that turned out to be harder than he thought it was going to be but on the flip side i think that it has allowed the issue to have a political profile and a political drive in greater manchester that wasn't there before charities would work together before there was definitely the, the seeds of networks of organisations which were trying to do something about it but i think what he has managed to do is put it on the radar as a political priority get people around the table and try to begin to come up with a solution to it so i mean the policy His kind of policy response to it has been to ensure that there is, to use the actual slogan, a bed every night for anybody who is on the streets at any given point, as opposed to the legal limit, which is basically if I think it's three days in a row of below freezing weather, at that point you have to make sure that there's a bed available for every person out on the street, which is outrageous, really, that that's the kind of legal expectation. So from day one, really, that was what he was saying he was going to do. It does appear to be working. It got off to a to a bumpy start, but it appears to be getting numbers down quite substantially. I think the last drop I saw was 37% drop when a lot of parts of the country it's going in the opposite direction. So obviously they will they will be pretty proud of that. He did promise to end it. He's not going to be able to end it in time for the, the May elections. But, you know, his argument going into the campaign will be that I have provided enough beds for everybody. It has been harder than perhaps we'd anticipated, but we've done everything that we can and we want to continue going down that road. And I I imagine he'll probably be given a a reasonable amount of space on that, I think, because I think people do probably recognise that some work has been done. The tricky thing about promising to end rough sleeping is that you could technically get everybody off the street 
who is sleeping rough in Manchester city centre, but people would still probably see people begging in the morning because not everybody on the street who is begging is necessarily technically homeless. So the optics of it mean that people still kind of think that there's a massive rough sleeping problem, even if it turns out that it's, it's a lot better than it was. So that kind of always made it quite, quite tricky in terms of demonstrating that you've delivered on it. Can I just dive in with a question about the yeah. practicalities here? Like what does, what does a bed for everyone every night, sorry, I mangled that, but what does that mean? Where are these beds and how is the mayor's office getting access to them? So the way they've done it is that they basically got the councils around the table and charities as well and churches, mosques, and said, we need capacity for this. Please, can you provide it? And some of that money has been stumped up by individual local authorities, particularly Manchester, which has got the worst problem. But I think there's also been some money come through from the mayor's office as well to help to help fund it. So, I mean, fundamentally, we're talking about councils that are providing this, but with a lot of buy-in from um, the voluntary sector as well, the faith sector. We're not talking necessarily about sumptuous surroundings. You know, I, don't, I, I think probably, depending on what borough you're in, the actual accommodation will probably vary fairly significantly. But that's kind of, that's the mechanism that he's used and in fairness, you know, without one person at the top pulling all those councils together and kicking them, some of whom were more kind of up for it than others, that probably wouldn't have happened in the same way. So that's a kind of soft power thing, which I think has has worked. I think on the transport side of things, that's that's something that he does have direct control over. So we're on bus franchising. That was a bit slow for a bit. I think it would be fair to say it wasn't a huge political priority. I think his bigger political priority was the thing that he'd promised in the campaign, which was to get free bus passes for 16 to 18 year olds, which he has done. But in the background, I think there were a lot of Labour people, probably about halfway through the term, who were starting to say, hold on a minute. One of the big reasons we wanted devolution was so that we could completely overhaul the bus network and get a franchise system. And you don't really seem to be kind of prioritising this at which point things did start to move and there's been an incredibly tedious legal process around it. But basically, there is a a final decision due in March and people are expecting the final decision. They've already said that that's the road that they want to go down. They're expecting the final decision to be one of a a franchised network. So, I mean, if that decision is taken in March, obviously he'll be able to go into the campaign saying that he's done that as well. You wouldn't know any difference from getting on a bus in Greater Manchester at the moment. Why has this taken so long? Because, you know, whenever transport comes up, like one of the things we hear is that, oh, trains are really a London thing in most of the country. It's actually buses that matter, which is, you know, if you look at the figures, that's that's sort of true. So Mm. why has there not been more pressure to kind of get into this earlier? Why was this not one of the first things out the gate? You know, he did talk about it in the mayoral campaign. I think the answer is probably that it's really difficult and it's incredibly complicated. I think some of the advice that he was getting was don't go down the franchising road because it could end up being pretty expensive. And where are we going to get the subsidy from? Which is true. You know, one of Greater Manchester's big asks at the moment of government is for a substantial amount of subsidy in order to run the network. So I think it comes down to kind of one of those things that was quite difficult. It was quite complicated. And I don't know, there were other policy priorities that were probably crowding it out would be my guess. I mean, I think on buses, if you go back further, the the issue with buses has just been kind of decades of political parties of both stripes just not really caring. And locally, Labour in Greater Manchester has always had a bee in its bonnet about the state of its bus network. But you never really saw it raised as a kind of big issue nationally, 
it was never really a kind of big priority for for successive governments, Labour or Conservative. I think the difference now is that you've got a mayor who's in that place. And then you've also got a Boris Johnson who's in that place and understands the importance of local bus services and also wants to be able to say by the end of this parliamentary term that he's actually done something that people couldn't notice. So the stars have aligned, I think, in many respects for Andy Burnham and the government on quite a number of political priorities where the kind of political imperatives sort of overlaps and buses is probably one of those. Sure. OK. I mean, it's really difficult is, is generally a good answer for why. It's, re- why well, it's really difficult. It is really difficult. Yeah. And, and, and also, the, if you do want to go down the franchising road, clearly the bus industry is going to fight you tooth and nail. And they have fought tooth and nail when something similar was tried in, in the northeast and won. So there was always an expectation that they were going to get into quite a diff- quite difficult legal territory with the bus companies. Please mind the gap between the train and the platform. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Like, what other issues are there that are going to be either going to be big ones in the campaign or that you think aren't, aren't getting enough attention, really? So I think policing would be the one that I would probably point to. I think that there is there's a lot of frustration, I think, among voters. And you hear it from councillors when they've been out on the doorstep in local elections that neighbourhood crime is the thing that is coming up again and again and again. And you can play the game of whose fault is that? Is it the mayor's or is it the government's? But I think it is one issue where people are really feeling that there is a problem in terms of police response, in terms of, you know, the likelihood that anybody's even going to come out if you're victim of a crime. And that is becoming more and more of a political issue in, in Greater Manchester. It's been it, it's been an issue for quite a long time. And things really haven't got much better over the course of Andy Burnham being mayor. The precept's gone up a couple of times and it will go up again in in May. 
and I think people may look at that and sort of think, well, what am I actually getting for this for this precept? They have used it to hire a few new police officers, but we're not talking about loads. And that is something that he has executive power over. And certainly a lot of people have said to me that it's it's not a thing that he is particularly visible on. He He's delegated to his deputy Bev Hughes, who obviously used to work in the Home Office, so she doesn't know about all of these things. But there was still a kind of a bit of a, a frustration that I hear kind of fairly regularly about where is Andy Burnham on policing? Why haven't we sort of seen him saying very much about it? And that he's, you know, he'll go out and be the face of, I don't know, say something really big happens, like a terror attack. Then he will be the face of the policing side of things at that point. But when you're talking about the more kind of just general malaise and general general issues that the public are seeing, perhaps not quite so much. And I think what you'll see in the election, if it goes the way I think it will, is the Conservatives really going for him on that. We don't know who the Conservative candidate is yet. There's been a long-standing rumour that it will be Bolton West MP Chris Green, which it still could be. But I think if you look at the way that this kind of caucus of new Tory MPs in Greater Manchester has been behaving since they got in, I think they will make policing an issue in the campaign. I mean, the the fact that we're now, we're under, I should say at time of recording, it's 13th of, of February, this is probably not going to go out for a couple of weeks, but you know, at time of recording, we are just under three months off the, the election. It is a bit weird that the Tories haven't picked a candidate, isn't it? I mean, does this suggest they're not they're not taking it terribly seriously or they just know they haven't got a prayer or or what's going on here? I think probably a bit of both. I mean, somebody told me an anecdote about Conservative Party conference where at the beginning of conference, there was some sort of meeting between Boris and sort of local Tories in Manchester. And he came in and said something about our mayoral candidate and everyone just kind of stared at him because he, it would appear that he didn't actually know that there hadn't been a candidate selected in Greater (laughs) Manchester. Excellent work. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's an expectation that the Conservatives are going to focus their resource on keeping Tees Valley and keeping Andy Street in in the West Midlands. But I do think there's probably a bit more of an onus on them than there was before the election to take the Greater Manchester race a bit more seriously, given that a third of our MPs are now Conservative and one of them may well be the candidate. So I think I think they will probably need to demonstrate that they're taking a bit more seriously than they did last time. It is very late in the day. There's, a, there's one theory that I've heard expressed to me by a few people that actually in a weird way it, the government maybe doesn't mind having Andy Burnham in place in Greater Manchester too much. They've started to get to a place where they're doing a bit of business with him, which didn't happen under Theresa May because she wasn't doing business with anybody. But certainly on, at the very least on the transport side of things, which obviously is something that Boris Johnson's really focused on in terms of priorities there are there's definitely a line of dialogue now between Andy Burnham's office and number 10 and as I say there is a kind of overlap of political interests there so to, I'm not suggesting that they're going to kind of hold off in Greater Manchester but I mean they're not going to win it she says making herself a hostage to fortune but you know so actually they will like the extent to which they really really push it who knows? I don't know. I think they probably need to be seen to be fighting it. But actually, in reality, I think they're kind of relatively happy with being able to sort of have conversations with Andy Burnham as a, almost as a kind of proxy spokesperson for the North, which I think has irritated perhaps some other parts of the North. But but that's that seems to be in a way partly how his role has developed a little bit. Well, yeah, I was going to come on to this and just ask, you know, does that, is that how he's perceived 
locally and it's that ever a thing where people are thinking well, why are you talking about the north shouldn't you be sticking to your own patch like are you, you're not doing enough for trafford or whatever yeah that that uh, that is a thing i mean you could use northern rail as an example where sometimes people kind of grumble about the fact that he's made a massive deal out of campaigning on northern rail but actually northern rail is not his responsibility trams are his responsibility or buses are his responsibility so that's definitely something that i've heard said there's also a kind of thing that you hear sometimes from other bits of the north about oh you know andy burnham here we go king of the north kind of thing and i think some of that is born of the fact that he has a pre-existing profile so you know if national broadcasters want to get a northern politician on tv then they already know andy burnham they already know that he knows how to do TV pretty well. They've got his number in their in their in their books. I mean, it's something almost as straightforward as that on one level that says, well, do we want to get Andy Burnham on or do we want to get Steve Rotherham on? Well, no one knows who Steve Rotherham is. We'll just get Andy Burnham on. So then you end up just by default being the person that gets asked on to talk about these things, which is one of the advantages that he had when he was running in the first place was that he did have that profile. Yeah, and I suppose you're right, it's self-perpetuating, isn't it? It's that if you want to hear from someone who represents the North, you go to the person that everyone already is familiar with to represent Exactly, the yeah, exactly. And it's something that I sometimes find, like, if you're asked to go on TV to talk about whatever, I don't know, whatever the thing might be, Northern Rail or something, I find myself saying, like, every time, like, I, there's 60 million people in the North, like, I cannot speak on their behalf. <laughs> like, all I can tell you is what's going on in Manchester, because I think sometimes there is a bit of a kind of, like, what do you think about this entire massive issue that's playing out across this entire massive region? It's just like we, well, it's just too big. Nobody would ask you to do that for the whole of the south of England. But I think that is partly how Andy Burnham has ended up being sort of seen as as much a northern spokesman as a, a Greater Manchester spokesman to some extent. I think how that evolves will be interesting because West Yorkshire appear to be on the cusp of getting a mayor as part of a devolution deal. So then you'll have another kind of voice on the other side of the Pennines. And clearly the government is pushing this idea that there'll be a lot more mayoral deal, deals being signed. The, the, who everyone's, everyone's forgotten, poor old Dan Jarvis, mayor of South Yorkshire, Sheffield City region. And it was weird, actually. I was saying this to somebody earlier on when the HS2 stuff was knocking about on Tuesday. I didn't see Dan Jarvis anywhere. I don't know whether I missed him. But actually, there's a real risk that the eastern leg of HS2 gets cut, in which case it will be Sheffield that loses out on that. But maybe he was out doing things that I missed. I don't know. But that comes back to the thing that we were talking about, you know, who is the person that yeah. by default ends up speaking on behalf of the North. But, yeah, you're right. There is already a mayor in Sheffield in South Yorkshire. I think the West Yorkshire one is, you know, it's, it's quite a big deal that because it's been just so, so fraught. Yeah. And it's a much bigger population and it's and Leeds is at the centre of the region. And that's kind of the big city on that side of the Pennines. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, yeah, one of the things I've sort of enjoyed covering cities and devolution and so on for the last six years is watching in real time the sort of emergence of the not everyone who lives in Manchester, you know, phenomenon. Yes. Like, you know, we're, you know, <laughs> down in London, we've had that for decades. We've had that for centuries. Yeah, yeah. But like you're starting to see other bits of the north getting genuinely annoyed at the attention Manchester's getting, which I think is a bit, a bit, a bit unfair because it's not like everything, everything is kind of peachy up there. That there is kind of a whole different level of kind of intra-city resentment going on now. Yeah, no, there definitely is. In a way, it's a bit unfair. In a way, I think it's, I totally understand it. And Manchester has got this habit of being, I mean, that's its kind of its political culture has been, well, you know, it's not our problem if you're no good at this, we're just going to do it. And if we do well at it, well, 
well done us. And, you know, if you want to come on board with it, do it. If you don't, we don't care. And Manchester's always been a little bit like that. So there's a bit of bullishness anyway in it. But I, I mean, I kind of think that, that that rivalry might be healthy, perhaps, in, in as much as, you know, I think I chaired something at a Tory conference about transport and all the hands that went up in the audience were people from the northeast saying, why do we never get mentioned in this? Like, where are we in this equation? Because people just assume that the north is, you know, the M62 corridor, which is something that Ben Houch and uh, Mayor at Tees Valley is also has also complained about in regards to transport for the north. And I kind of thought the very fact that that was being said was probably quite healthy because it means that perhaps everywhere now starts to kind of pitch in a bit. And especially with the election result where you've got Conservative MPs up in some of these places that if they work in unison, and I, I don't know yet whether to what extent they will do, if they work in unison, then you could actually start to see places that have maybe they have been drowned out a little bit by Manchester over the last few years. But you could start seeing a bit of focus turned their way and it's probably well overdue. Mm. I mean, I think the, the, the tendency to focus on the M62 corridor is there is a rationale behind it, which is it's just where statistically most people in the north live. Yeah. Like it's something yeah. like the M62 corridor has a population about on a par with London. And then there's kind of like huge space to the north with like, you know, the northeast got a couple of million, but it's really not that big by way of comparison. So I think it's it's sort of a natural response to that. But I can see where that's incredibly annoying if you're living in like Sunderland or something. You yeah, just... completely. Or like up in Cumbria. I mean, the other thing I think there's an interesting dynamic as well over Liverpool and all of this, because obviously Liverpool is kind of perpetually at war with the government. And they have been really, really kind of vocal about being at war with Boris Johnson on a personal level because of the stuff that he'd said previously about Liverpool. But you've now got a council that's talking about not setting a legal budget. Feels like (laughs) we're going back. Yeah, exactly. We're going back 30 years. Yeah. But where Liverpool kind of fits into this sort of brave new world of northern pragmatism and and cross-party Labour working with the Conservative government and blah, 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 blah. I mean, although Steve Rotherham is he's mates with Andy Burnham and, and they tend to be on the same page as stuff. You can't get away from the fact that, that Liverpool is heavily Labour dominated and has got an attitude, attitude towards the government that is not really one of, of a kind of let's all get around the table and compromise kind of thing. So they're, they're an interesting outlier, I think, in all of this, even although, you know, they are very much front and centre geographically in terms of some of the things that we're talking about, whether it's Northern Powerhouse or Northern Rail or, or HS2. So, so I find the dynamic of that really interesting. Uh, we should be wrapping up. I just want to ask, I mean, is there any chance at all that Andy Burnham doesn't win this? I don't think it's very likely. My guess would be that turnout will be down. And turnout, I think last time was about 33% and people kind of thought that was quite a bit higher than a lot of people had expected. I mean, I suppose it's running in tandem with local elections as well, but I don't think it's very likely that he's going to lose it, if I'm absolutely honest. Whether he kind of sweeps through on 60% of first preferences again, maybe not. But I think he'll probably be okay. It it won't stop his team having perpetual election jitters for the next three months and gradually increasing the volume of things that get sent through to us about, you know, press opportunities and stuff. But I don't think it's very likely that he's going to lose it, no. Are the other parties anywhere i mean we've kind of touched on labor and the tories we haven't even mentioned the fact that there are there are other political parties yeah so the liberal democrats have selected a councillor in rochdale andy kelly 
he was selected quite a while back, actually. So it'll be interesting to see what the Lib Dems do with that. He's obviously going to be pretty well versed in the detail of the kind of politics and dynamics in Greater Manchester. But I, I don't know yet that so far that's a kind of unknown quantity. I've not heard from any independents or from any, you know, from the Greens or or Brexit Party or anybody like that. But I think the the risk in city metro elections, if you are somebody like Andy Burnham, is probably going to be, you know, an Andy Street type figure, a conservative or an independent who comes from a business background, who doesn't come with any kind of party political baggage attached who can then sort of take you on in that respect. And I think that would probably be the candidate that they would be worried about if it was to happen. But I don't see any signs that it is happening. I remember in the first race, there was sort of vague speculation, oh, maybe Jim O'Neill might run. But, you know, somebody along those lines mm. who can kind of be sort of non-party political, but knows their way around and is, a, you know, a skilled performer, that, that would probably be the threat rather than you know, a traditional Conservative candidate. That'll be my guess. OK, well, the, the election is in early May. It should be... I mean, the excitement is going to be in seeing by how much Andy Burnham wins rather than who's going to win, I think. But it'll be... I think so. <laughs> but we're going to have lots of exciting conversations about what, what Manchester and other bits of the country need before that. So, so there's something to look forward to. Jim Williams, thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Skylines, the podcast from City Metric, the New Statesman City site. It was presented and recorded by me, John Anage, and produced by Nick Hilton. You can find Skylines every two weeks on iTunes, Acast, or whatever other app you use to get your, your podcast. And while you're there, why not leave us a nice review to, to tell other people we're here? It, you know, it really helps people discover the show, and I'm a megalomaniac, so the more people I can get listening to this, the better, really. We'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.